Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to start a new series this week. It's going to be another mini-series. And it's going to be titled Aggressive Gratitude. Aggressive Gratitude. These two words may not seem to go together just yet, but as we get into the message, I think you'll see um, the encouragement for us and the motivation for us to pair them together and to um, follow along the leading of the Apostle Paul and what he's instructing us to do, okay? So, the further our culture moves away from God and His Word, the more we see attitudes and beliefs that are opposite of Almighty God increase. So I think everybody can you know, agree to that, right? The further we get, the more craziness that happens, the things that we used to, as a culture, look down upon are now almost celebrated as a culture. You know, it used to be like if a guy was, you know, promiscuous or whatever, people were like, man, get away from him. And now it's like, oh, it's just, you know, the rite of passage until you get married. <clears throat> and so um, as we pull away from God's word and as we pull away as a culture, um, we're going to find more and more um, actions and attitudes that are opposite of God's word become acceptable and celebrated. Now, we're not going to go through all those tonight because we would be here forever talking about the depravity of mankind, right? But um, we're going to specifically attack kind of one or two things here and one widespread and deadly attitude in our country. It's the first line in your notes there is envy. Envy. Next line in your notes, envy is one of the roots of entitlement. It's, it is a root of entitlement. We talked a little bit about this on Friday with the youth about how entitlement is basically an attitude that says, I deserve some type of special consideration or treatment that is not given to someone else. Two of the most deadly word combinations that we have in, in the English language in our country is I deserve. People take that posture of I deserve and then they, it, it saturates into every other aspect of their life to where they sit in a position and say, give me, give me, give me, instead of contributing to take responsibility to get the things that they may need. <clears throat> Envy and entitlement, next line in your notes, are poisons that quickly suffocate gratitude. Envy and entitlement are poisons that quickly suffocate gratitude. Like we talked about before, envy used to be viewed as a negative character trait, but now it is openly accepted and in some cases championed as a worthy motivator to encourage people to achieve success. <clears throat> now, there's, now, I want to take one second here and clarify something. There's nothing wrong with looking at something and going, oh, that's going to be my goal and I'm going to work towards that goal as long as God has pointed me in that direction. But what our culture is doing is removing God and saying, Look at what those people have. You deserve to have the same thing. Look at the house those people live in. You deserve a house like that. Look at the car that she drives. Look at all these things that they have. You deserve, there's that entitlement again, you deserve um, what they have. And if you're going to, and, and if you want what they have, go get it. And they use envy and jealousy and entitlement almost as a motivator to push us to try and go achieve, quote-unquote, success. The only problem with that is any action motivated by entitlement will never end up in a positive place. 
you may get what you want, but you found that getting what you want actually didn't help you at all. So we can, we can cripple the disease of envy and entitlement through aggressive gratitude to God. Okay? So I'm going to, before we talk about combining these two together, I want to look at the definitions of these two words, aggressive and gratitude. Aggressive, the definition of the dictionary is driving forceful energy or initiative. And the next line in your notes, more intensive or comprehensive than usual. Then there's gratitude. It is the state of being grateful. Now, the reason I really like that definition right there is because it's not the emotion of being grateful, the idea of being grateful, the feeling of being grateful. It is the state. I am here, locked in, not moving, not wavering. I'm right here. I'm in the state of gratitude. I'm in the state of remaining grateful. So when we put these two words together, here's what we get with these definitions, okay? Aggressive gratitude is using forceful energy and a more intensive dedication to remain in a state of being grateful. Using forceful energy and a more intensive dedication to remain in a state of being grateful. Now, I mentioned earlier, these two words may not seem to go very well together, and here's why. In our culture, we typically look at the idea of gratitude as something passive or sentimental. Here's what I mean. A couple weeks ago, I went to California and uh, to the Communist Republic of California. (laughs) Sorry, guys, it's a joke. If you're from California, Um, um, I'm a Laker fan, so what am I going to do? But I went to California for a wedding, right? And it was the most beautiful thing. And at these moments, these sentimental moments, everybody starts remembering and thinking back and taking a moment to reflect on their life and their relationship. And the, the, the parents of the bride and groom are thinking about, oh, I remember when they grew up and I dreamed about this day. And then the, the bride and the groom are thinking, oh, thank you for my parents, you know, the things they did that, you know, for me to get me to this point. And the friends are remembering. And we kind of have this sentimental moment where it's almost natural for us to think back and be grateful for things. We have a holiday coming up, Thanksgiving, where it would be a normal, sentimental time for us to look and go, oh, I just want to take a moment and stop and be grateful. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing. But it's almost passive. It's almost taking a moment to just go, oh, yeah, I should probably, yeah, let me think about that for a second. It's always let me stop and reflect. All of that we should continue to do. But there is a flip side of the coin for gratitude, and that can be aggressive gratitude, meaning I am going to push past the sentimental moment. I'm not going to relegate this to a a passive attitude. I am going to find ways in every scenario that I live in to be grateful. I'm going to search for the reason to have gratitude regardless of the situation that I sit in. We're going to read um, the, the, the scripture that's kind of the basis for our message here tonight is Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> so let's read this uh, here together. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. 
May God our Father give you grace and peace. We will always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of, God, of, of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And if you read that out aloud with me, that's my fault. I told you to read along with me, so I apologize <clears throat> if you got confused there for a second. That's on me, not you. So now the reason that I, that when I went back and read this scripture, now let me be completely honest. This is like the introduction of a book of the Bible. He's basically saying, this is from Paul and Timothy. You guys are doing good. Y'all are saved. We thank God for that. Um, you know, you guys are keep pursuing all that. We want to thank the guy, Epaphras, who told y'all. And here we go. It's the part of the scripture. Now, don't look down on me for this. I'm just going to be transparent and honest with you. It's the part of this kind of passage I would generally kind of just skim through. I wouldn't take a lot of time going through this particular scripture because I go, oh, it's the intro. I want to get down to the meat and potatoes. I don't care what the, what, the, what the place setting looks like. I don't care what the plate and the fork and where they're all lined out. There's a napkin here. Great. I'm having an appetizer. Great. Get me to the meat and potatoes of the meal. That's kind of how I normally look at introductions of the scripture, which God has corrected me on by making this message be completely centered around the introduction. Because when you read that, you go, oh, it's kind of just, you know, just ease us into the, the good stuff. But there's a couple of things here that I want to review that point to Paul showing us the importance of and elevating our idea of gratitude. <clears throat> so, number one in your notes. Having gratitude for the work God is doing in others. Gratitude for the work God is doing in others. Now, you may look at this and go, wait a minute, shouldn't I be grateful for the work that God's doing in me? Yes. Why don't we start with the, being thankful for what God's done for me first? Because the vast majority of our day is being concerned with us. The vast majority of what we do is focused on us. So it's on purpose that I'm trying to point the picture and point our attention and focus away from us to other people. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here in this first passage. Just read verses 3 through 5 again here together, okay? We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and that your love and your love for all God's people which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. There's sometimes I read scriptures and go, man, that's good. And there's sometimes I read this and go, oh, I mean, it's in the Bible, it's good, but it's kind of not that good that I'm kind of like that, mm. you know what I mean? It makes you want to lean, kind of make you that, 
that face. You know what I mean? Let's say I found something good. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy here seem to be doing something average, but I want to look at what it is because it will change the way we read Scripture and pay attention to everything. Paul and Timothy are starting off this entire letter by giving thanks to God for other people's faith in Christ and for their love for God's people. Here's why this matters. Next line of your notes. There is no specific evidence that Paul and Timothy had ever been to Colossae. They'd never been there. They traveled to nearby areas. We know that for sure, Laodicea and some of the other areas. But there's no evidence that they ever went to this city of Colossae. That means they are celebrating somebody's faith. They are celebrating another church that they have nothing to do with. They didn't go there and plant this church. They planted some in Rome, in Corinth, in Thessalonica, and they planted all these other churches. They did not plant the church in Colossae. But here they are at the very beginning of what they're saying is, hey, I am grateful that God is doing something in you, even though I didn't really have anything to do with it personally or directly. He is taking the focus off all of the things that he is doing and that him and Timothy are doing and that the rest of the apostles are doing. He's saying, hey, we haven't even been there. You are following Christ and I am celebrating the fact that you are following him and it and had nothing to do with me putting my hands on it. Paul and Timothy, next on your notes, are excited with the success of another church. This is wildly important to those of us here in the United States because we are a competition consumer-based culture. We need to destroy the idea that churches are in competition with other churches. We have to put this to death. There's some people who I grew up in 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 an era ever since I was young where it was like, we go to this church, and if you go to that church, fine, but we don't like them because you should come be with us. Our pastor's better than your pastor. Our youth group's better than your youth group. And in some instances, we might have been right. (laughs) But I had no, there was not a shred of an, an ounce of anything in me that would look at them and go, you know what? They are triple our size. They are continuing to grow. They are teaching God's word. They are discipling people. They're building another addition to their building. We're sitting over here with 200 folks. And you know what? Great for them. You know what I defaulted to? Why did they get that? How in the world? Why, did, why, does, why does God give them this big old building, this facility, and all this ability to go do all this stuff? Why in the world did they get to go do that? And guess what I defaulted to? Envy and entitlement. I did that really young. Really, really young. But the important thing that we have to remember is this. Every believer in Christ is on one team. The one led by Almighty God Yahweh, His Son Jesus Christ Yeshua, and His Holy Spirit. 
That means if we share the gospel with someone at work and they get saved but wind up going to a different Bible-believing church, we all still win. We all still win. Heaven rejoices when, when a lost person comes to Christ, not for when they walk through the door of RCC. We get excited because we have an opportunity to minister to them, but heaven rejoices when the lost person comes home, regardless of if that's here in this living room, in some building somewhere, next to their bed, in their car, wherever they are, heaven rejoices. And I don't care what Bible-believing church you step foot into or anybody else step foot, steps foot into, if they are growing roots into Christ, if they're bearing fruit, if they have a relationship with Him, they get saved. We all win. Paul is sitting here rejoicing, showing us in a little appetizer before the main meal. Hey, I'm not even a part of this. I haven't even been there. It's not like I went there and witnessed to 90 people and I got them the structure of it all set up. He hasn't even been there and he's saying, I'm still rejoicing with you. And we need to follow his lead on that. Paul is celebrating the fact that people who he had not met, hadn't preached to, and didn't know were coming to Christ at a church that he didn't plant. If we can't be happy for others, there is a great probability envy and entitlement have clouded our heart. I'm going to read that again. If we can't be happy for others, there is a great probability that envy and entitlement have clouded our hearts. There is a huge possibility, and I would say almost a guarantee, that people will come to Roots Community Church. All of us will be involved in helping them in some way, shape, or form. They will grow deep roots into Christ with a relationship with God. They will bear good fruit. They'll get trained to do something in ministry and have the right heart to volunteer and love people and serve people. They'll get trained in areas of the gospel that they, were, that they, they um, didn't know before. And then right when we go, my goodness, this dude is ready. He's going to leave. And when he leaves, we got an opportunity. To say, all oh, that stinking work put into that dude, to that girl, to that couple, to that family, got them through the major portion of their life to this place where they are now ready to get engaged. We could really use people like that. And then God sent them somewhere else. We're going to have an opportunity to go, what are y'all doing? Why did y'all leave? What a waste. Or we're going to have an opportunity to go, thank you, God, for giving us the chance to deposit something in them that you saw was so valuable that you wanted to take and place somewhere else. If that person goes to be a missionary in South America, if they go to be some type of, of, of care aid worker, Christian aid worker in, in uh, Africa, if they go to another church on the other side of the country, or even worse, they go to a church around the corner and serve 
and share the gospel, we have an opportunity to go, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for allowing us, trusting us enough, trusting us enough to be able to put something inside of them that you saw fit to carry out of here. We can look at it like a loss or we can look at it like an export of goodness. Here's what I want to do. I want to read three hypothetical situations to you. (laughs) Hypotheticals. I love these. And I want you to kind of just think about them just real quickly, okay? Letters A, B, and C here in your notes under situations. Ready? What happens to us when another family gets a blessing we've been praying for? Ooh, I got quiet in this Baptist church. <clears throat> um, <laughs> how do we feel when another parent sees their child healed and ours is still sick? What's our response when a person we've been praying for is led to Christ by somebody else? Let me show you how envy responds. When another family gets a blessing we've been praying for, envy and entitlement responds, but why did they get that before me? When another parent sees their child healed and ours is still struggling, envy and entitlement responds, we've done more for God than they have. Why isn't our child getting healed first? When a person we've been praying for is led to Christ by someone else, envy and entitlement says, I did all of that praying, I did all of that fasting for them, and someone else gets the payoff? I did all the the getting on my knees and weeping for them work, and somebody else gets to have the joy of leading them to the Lord? It's hard to swallow this pill, but... I've been guilty of almost every one of those things in some way, shape, or form in my own life. Because until God uprooted entitlement out of me, that would have been my default posture. And then I would have had to grab it real quick and be like, oh, but I should probably be grateful. I should probably not act this way. Because I was more concerned that I do something right and follow the rules than was my heart in the proper place. See, when another family gets a blessing we've been praying for, gratitude says, thank you, God, that he still answers prayer. When another parent sees their child healed and ours is still struggling or sick, gratitude responds, thank God that he remains the healer. When a person that we've been praying for is led to Christ by someone else, gratitude responds, thank God that he still does the miracle of saving the lost. When we have that passive position of gratitude, if we're waiting for some sentimental moment or taking a passive approach to being thankful for what God does, it's easy for us to miss that he is showing us through answering the prayers of other people that he still answers prayer. 
It can be easy if we sit in our position of envy and entitlement to go, man, why did they get that? But if I'm aggressively looking for how to be grateful, to remain in a state of thanksgiving and gratitude, I'm saying God's great work in the lives of other people should remind us that he's capable of answering our prayers, that he still answers prayer, that he still remains the healer, that he still does the miracle of saving lost people. So what about my prayers? I've been praying. I've been asking God for these things. And so I defaulted to a scripture that I've heard a lot in my life. And I'm going to, and I put it in your notes here, Philippians chapter four, verses five through seven. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ. See, when I was older, younger, <laughs> I'm older now. I was younger back then. When I was younger, I grew up on the old King James, right? And it said, um, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in every situation, through prayer and supplication, present your request to God. And I would just think, okay, if I have a need, I got a prayer, I got to pray, I got to... Got a petition, God, ask him for something, and then that's what I would do. But there is something that when I went back and read this scripture this week and during my study, I missed two key words. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. If I'm praying something and petitioning God for something, it means I have a need I want him to meet. I am bringing forward something to him that says, God, I need this taken care of. I need a job. I need a healing. I need an opportunity. I I need a breakthrough in some way, shape, or form. I'm bringing this to you, God, how in the world are you supposed to be in, in the state of thanksgiving when you have need? Because we are supposed to be remembering all the time the goodness of God to us in the past and in the lives of other people that aren't us. We need to fight, to push, to aggressively do more than is normally our, our, um, our, our default position. We need to do more than we normally would to maintain a state of gratitude. That is aggressive gratitude. Not just, I'm going to wait for there to be a moment here where I can just sit back and reflect. Take every one of those moments. Do not limit gratitude to them. There is more ways, there are more ways we can be gracious to God for everything. Number two in your notes, and there's only two things in your notes, so it's the last point for today. Gratitude that God has an unseen plan. Gratitude that God has an unseen plan. Verses 7 and 8 in that passage that we read earlier say, You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant. He's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. When I read this, my first question was, who is Epaphras? My second question was, 
who named that, ca- that child Epaphras, because that is terrible. It's irrelevant. Some people, could, let's go back to the first question. Some people confuse Epaphras with a guy who's later mentioned in the Bible with a similar name, Epaphroditus, which sounds like a medical condition to me. But again, that doesn't matter. Um, but they're two separate people. So I started looking and trying to figure out information about Epaphras. Who is this guy Epaphras? He was enough that Paul wanted to mention him here. And Epaphras is our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful servant. You learned about the good news from him. So who took the gospel to Colossae? Epaphras. All we know about him are these little bullet points that are, under, that are on your notes. Epaphras gets saved under Paul's ministry. Epaphras obediently spreads the gospel in Colossae. He's most likely the founder and leader of the church in Colossae. He remains faithful to Christ and spreading of the gospel. And he prays for the believers in Colossae. This is all we know about Epaphra. We don't know where he's from. We don't know how many kids he had, if he was married, how long he was married. We don't know any details about his life, what his career was, what he did for work, what he did for fun. We don't know when he died. We don't know anything else about this man except for the fact that every believer in Colossae has him to thank. So let me paint a quick picture here for a second. Let's say that, um, that Sergio here came and told all of us about the gospel. We're living in this area of Colossae. He comes in and tells us all about the gospel, and we say, man, that is unbelievable. Man, we feel the the Holy Spirit drawing us to God. We get saved because of the testimony of Sergio. So, man, where did you hear this good news from? A guy named Epaphras. Where did Epaphras hear the good news from? From Paul. Where did Paul hear the good news from? Well, from the Lord who knocked him off his horse but when he was going to Damascus, but he stayed with a man named Judas and was prayed for by a man named Ananias. There is a really good chance that nobody here, as people who live in this area of Colossae, have any clue or knowledge of Ananias. Think about that for a second. Paul... Knocked off his horse. He's killing Christians. Knocked off his horse. God says, you're not going to be Saul anymore. You're going, to be, you're going to change your name to Paul. He's blinded. He goes to the house of a man named Judas. God speaks to Ananias to go pray for him. Ananias says, uh-uh, I ain't going over there. This dude's been killing people for talking about Christ. And he's like, no, go over there. I have something good for him. Ananias prays for him. The scales fall off his eyes. And then Paul goes through a whole long time of sitting out and, and, and being run out of places because people are scared for him, finally realizes his call was to the Gentiles, follows the Spirit of God to lead on to follows the Spirit of God's lead onto all these missionary journeys, plants all of these churches, and at one point in time runs a pa- runs across Epaphras. Epaphras witnesses to somebody in Colossae, which is Sergio, and Sergio tells the rest of us. Does anybody care right now? who Ananias was. Would we have any idea to go, oh, yeah, we knew he was blind, and yeah, somebody prayed for him. No, 
they are just grateful that the gospel got to them. They are just grateful that there is an unseen plan, an unseen orchestration where God is taking his message and presenting it to Paul and then putting Judas in the middle of it and putting Ananias in the middle of it and then putting all these people in the line of these missionary journeys into it and putting Epaphras in it. He is building this unseen plan, this unseen passage of the gospel all the way down to us and now think about this we're not in Colossae who told you about the gospel you'd probably be able to answer that question I got saved when somebody preached or somebody told me but would you be able to answer the question about who told that person about the gospel my guess is less than half of us would be able to do that and then my next question would do you know how that person who told that person knows the gospel because there is an unseen orchestration that only the creative all-powerful God can put into place to seep the gospel into every nook and cranny and crevice to reach all of us we should be grateful for the unseen work of God I had a guy um, come and talk to me several years ago, and this is how he started the conversation and see if this would be something that you would enjoy. He goes, hey, you're Matt Poole, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I know you, but you don't know me. <laughs> These are not the kinds of ways to start a conversation with somebody like, I mean, are we squaring up here? Or like, I mean, what's going on? Did I, you know, did I take the last chicken off the shelf from your mom or something? Or you're like, I didn't see her. Or I cut you off in traffic or what, you know? <clears throat> and he goes, no, you don't. You don't know me, but I know you. So I was like, cool. <laughs> he goes, but can I tell you a story real quick? I said, sure. He goes, several years ago, uh, you went with a crew of people and traveled to the state of Alabama. I used to live in northern Florida, which is affectionately referred to as L.A., lower Alabama. And there is a reason for that if you've ever been there. They talk like this, <clears throat> you know. So... <laughs> Sorry, all my Northern Florida people. I'm one of you. Um, so um, we went to Alabama with a ministry training team and did a whole bunch of work with some people and did some services and some, you know, some youth work. And they brought all of us who were part of the team. I was just kind of there carrying stuff and a part here and there. I wasn't really doing a lot. I wasn't speaking a lot or anything like that. But at the end, they lined us all up at the front and they said, hey, if you guys want to pray with, um, about anything before we go, come down here and we'll, we'll be happy to pray with you. And he said, you were the one of the people who were praying up front. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I remember that. He goes, you remember a, a guy who came and prayed with you? And I'm like, not a specific one. I mean, that was so many years ago, you know. <clears throat> he goes, well, this guy came to you and he said, some, he just kind of wound up with you at a, at a prayer time. And he said, I have a complete career path already chosen. I got scholarships. I'm going to roll down this road. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to pick this way to go to go in my career. But I feel something over here pulling me towards ministry, pulling me to go get some ministry training. I don't know what that's going to lead to, but man, is this just me? My parents are going to kill me if I do this. What do I do? I told him, go to college. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, told him, um, I told him, I said, hey, 
you need to ask the Lord for direction. Confirm what he's telling you to do. Ask him because we're, we're human. He understands that. Ask him to confirm where you want to go. Then ask him to provide for you to get there. And if he leads you down that road, be obedient to him. Prayed with him, left, came back to the wonderful heat of Phoenix. I said, okay. And he goes, what you don't know is that guy did decide to do ministry. And the following year, he packed up with a whole bunch of people in the ministry team and went to my hometown of Seattle, Washington. And he said, they did a bunch of ministry stuff and they lined up in front to pray and said, if any of us want to come pray, it just so happens the guy you prayed for was down there praying for people and just so happened that I walked up to the front and prayed with him and he said, hey man, what do you want to, what do you want to pray for? And he goes, my story was, I got this college scholarship and this whole line out. I'm going to go for my career, but I feel like the Lord's pulling me towards ministry. What do I do? And the guy goes, this is amazing. It's almost exactly the scenario that I was in last year. And I'll tell you what a guy named Matt Poole told me. Lay it out before the Lord. Ask him to confirm it. Ask him to provide for you. And then be obedient to the way he directs you to go. He goes, I chose that ministry path and I came down here to this conference. And when I saw your name on that little paper they handed out, I went, I need to go tell him. Because I don't think people realize when you do one little thing, the ripple effect it has to everyone else you'll never meet. I left there, and you would think when somebody gives you something like that, you would be like, man, that's awesome. Good job, Matt. You know what I mean? Like, good job, man. Yeah, this is good. I didn't leave there that way. I left there and sat down. I remember really clearly. I sat down and I said, God, thank you for that, first of all. How many other things have started that ripple effect? How many things that I was disobedient on didn't start that ripple? God, don't let me miss any more of these things. Thank you for allowing somebody, some scrubby little kid from Florida, to be a part of your unseen plan. You may never know the number of people who have prayed for you. You may never get to meet every single person who wept for your salvation. You may never know the people who drenched the carpet in their home calling out your name before God. You may never meet the people who introduced Christ to the people who introduced you to Christ. But we need to take a posture of looking at everything in our life and going, God, I don't know why you prevented me from going down this road, but I am grateful that your wisdom and hand stopped me from going somewhere you didn't want me to go. God, I don't know why it took forever for me to come around to this idea of doing what you're leading me to do, but now that we've done it, God, thank you so much for taking me the long way. 
this was the most painful process I've ever been through in my life to prepare for what God has next for us. But on the other end of it, God, thank you so much for causing me the pain to remove the things that need to be removed from me. I'm going to find a way to remain grateful because I don't want to default to the I deserve anymore. As much as it's as easy as it is to sit with the entitlement and envy and this default part to my flesh, as easy as that is, I want to push equally hard the other direction to remain in a state of gratitude. When we belittle what we do, it's almost a sign of pride. Let me give you an example of what I mean. All I do is come here and help out with the youth every once in a while. All I do is go back there and volunteer in the kids thing twice a month. All I do is come and sing for worship every other week. It doesn't really matter. All I do is make sure the video is working for the live stream. All I do is help set up chairs and tear them down sometimes. All I do is clean up so that everybody can walk into a place that's ready without distraction for worship. All I do is sit here and pray for other people. I would say that all you are is Epaphras. I would say that all those little things that you have done reflect this man that Paul mentioned as doing a couple of little things. All he did was get saved. All he did was go down to some city that Paul and Timothy didn't have a chance to go down to and tell them about the gospel. All he did was get them started. I mean, they did the work. I just kind of gave them the framework of how it works, and they ran with it. All I did was pray for them. All you did was participate in God's unseen plan. So instead of arrogantly discounting what God has put in front of us to do, let us find an aggressive way to remain grateful that He picked us to do something little, to make a ripple that would go on and on and on to a place that we don't know where it ends. Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. This is the very end of the book. We read the beginning and now the very end. And look what Paul says about Epaphras. This is the last mention of him. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. All I do is pray, Matt. I don't know what else to do. All I do is pray for the kids in our church. All I do is pray for the people who will come. 
all I can do is pray. I don't have a lot of time or money or availability or strength to do anything else. All I do is pray. And here we are belittling that massive position in God's unseen plan. And here Paul is celebrating Epaphras for doing the exact same thing. What I want to encourage you to remember is this. Anything that you do for God out of obedience to Him, no matter how small, gets you to participate in His unseen plan. We don't know all the people who have prayed for us. You also don't know the end result of all your prayers for other people. Some of the greatest heroes of our faith. Hebrews talks about, lists them all by name and says, hey, some of them died without even seeing the thing they were asking for, the promise that was made for them. Yet they continued to do it in faith. I'm going to ask us to continue to do that in faith and not belittle what God has given us. Because think about that. Belittling what God gave us? If we belittle these little things that we look at like prayer or setting up or helping out with kids or youth or whatever else, if we belittle those things, how in the world is he going to trust us with anything else? I don't see any mention where Epaphras goes, I'm not Paul or Timothy, so I don't need to do nothing. I mean, those are the real guys. People come here to see them, not me. What I do doesn't matter. No, he understood and he had a grateful posture that he could take part in God's unseen plan to spread the gospel to everyone in Colossae. This is just the one place we know that he went, that Paul and Timothy didn't go. There's a possibility because he went back and worked for Paul that he went somewhere else. We may never know until we get to heaven the consequence of Epaphras work for the gospel. Last two lines in your notes. All of us have been saved because of God's unseen plan. And all of us are playing a role in God's unseen plan. May we be people who live a life of aggressively looking for ways to be grateful to God for the work He is doing in others and for His unseen plan. The challenge for us today is to submit our heart to God. Because if we just try to discipline ourselves away from His help, we're not going to remain grateful. We're not going to remain in that state. But the more we put our flesh to death, the more we put the selfish nature of our own sinful humanity on on the altar before Him and ask Him to put that to death, the greater possibility, we, the probabilities that we have to remain in a state of gratitude and to see, even in places we didn't see before, 
where we can be thankful. In that scripture in Philippians I read earlier, you know, where we were praying with thanksgiving, I thought for a second that, um, man, that word thanksgiving, I bet it's got one of those, like, deep meanings. I'm going to pull that sucker out and it's going to revolutionize my life. And so I looked up the meaning of that word thanksgiving and the original language, and you know what the definition was? Thanksgiving. (laughs) Plain old, simple, nothing else to it, giving Thanks to God. When we pray, let us remember to give thanks. I have a massive need. I am sick. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I need God to come through. He knows before you even ask, first of all. We're going to obediently ask and petition Him, but follow the direction of Scripture and approach him with thanksgiving. I'm going to challenge everybody here in this room and anybody who is watching or listening to this later. I'm going to challenge you to find a whole bunch of new ways over the course of this series to look at something and go, man, thank you, God. Thank you that you brought me from a place where when the tire's flat on my car, I can go get it taken care of and not worry about it. Because it used to be a stress for me. Thank you that you brought me to a place, God, that instead of being angry all the time, I default to trying to understand what the other person's going through. Whatever it is specific for you, Take a moment and reflect, but don't allow gratitude to be passive or sentimental. Let it be aggressive. Let's look harder. Let's look deeper. Let's look closer, intentionally, more than we have before. And find the things to be grateful for. Because my guess is you're going to dig just a little bit and pull a thread and go, Oh my goodness, I didn't even realize God had been that good to me.